know, I have a word picture I want to share with you right now at this time because this is so meaningful. I have our little granddaughter here with me today, Joelle. And, you know, I'm beginning to develop a relationship with this little girl. And I just noticed the way that she reacts sometimes is just the way that I have to react to my father in heaven. Because as I was holding her yesterday, a couple times she just kind of sat in my lap. And she kind of laid her head back against my shoulder. She just kind of laid there, just kind of rested there. And she just kind of put her ear almost to my chest like she could hear my heartbeat. And I have that relationship with her because of who she is to me. She's my granddaughter. And I'm her grandfather. And we have a relationship. And you know, folks, we have that same relationship with the creator of this universe, our Father in heaven. When we recognize that we have this relationship called salvation, and we have this relationship that he came and he sent his son to die for us, and when we can understand that and we can grasp that and we can learn what that means to settle down in his lap and put our head back against his chest and to hear his heartbeat, and you know that his heartbeat is love, You know that he would do anything for you like you would do anything for your granddaughter, your grandson, or your child. And so I don't want to rush through these things, folks. I want us to understand the significance of what it means when we have this time to worship the Lord because, you know, we have these times and we don't have them many times throughout the week. Our Our weeks are busy. We go to our jobs and we get on the hustle and the bustle and we just move fast in life. And, and now when we have times of worship, I don't want to be distracted. And I don't want you to be distracted by the things of this life. And it's just so important that we can take the time and just let the heartbeat of the Lord rest in us and, and lay your head back on Him as we sing this song. Let that word picture settle in into your spirit and just lay your head back on the chest of the Father and feel His heartbeat and know His love and His compassion and how much he wants to satisfy you. Thank you, Jesus. I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hand, lay back against you and breathe, feel your heartbeat. This love is so deep, it's more than I want to continue on today with our second lesson from a little book that we started last week, written by Philip Keller, and the, uh, the title of the lesson today is um, Set Free to Follow. Now, the name of the book is Lessons from a Sheepdog, and, uh, and I, I believe there's just a lot of good lessons, a lot of good meat in this little tiny book. 
But as I was said, I was told earlier this weekend, big things come in little packages. Right, Jenna? So there's a lot of meat in this little tiny book, and so we're, uh, I'm excited about getting into it. Let me just catch up to where we were. Last week, we started off, we read quite a bit of the book. It's about a dog and a sheep farmer. And the sheep farmer is a, a, a new sheep farmer, and he doesn't have his dog yet, and he needed to get a sheep dog to help him with the sheep. A good dog, as we found out last week, is worth five good men when it comes to herding sheep and taking care of them. And so that was his challenge, was to find one. And, and he didn't have any money because he spent all of his money on buying the farm and buying his, his uh, flock of sheep. So he found one through the paper, and it was a giveaway dog. And basically the dog was, to the owner uh, that had it, it was a wild, out-of-control dog. It just was not at all in the dog's element. Therefore, the dog didn't know how to behave in the city. And a border collie is, as we, if you know anything about border collies, they are meant to work. They are a working dog. And uh, so this dog was in the wrong hands last week, and we found out what it took to get that dog out of the person in the wrong hands and put it in the person of the right hands, and what could that dog do in its God-given talents and its God-given ability. So last week we found her in the city. She was penned up, and um, the uh, farmer went out and rescued the dog, brought her back to the sheep farm, and now we are picking up the story where he has now have her home, and now she's learning to understand what it is to be in a new master, with a new master's hands and the love behind her with that. So let me just pick it up. I'm going to read a little bit more in, uh, in this lesson, Set Free to Follow. It says, Long before I brought Lass home to stay with us, I had painstakingly prepared a new kennel for this special dog that would share our life at Fairwinds. In my mind's eye, I had pictured a border collie that would work with me on the ranch, sharing the care of the sheep, and become a virtual member of our family. There was a new leash as well. There were also clean dishes to hold fresh food and water. Everything was in readiness for the dog chosen to be my companion and co-worker. There was so much at stake at this, in this selection. Finding the right dog was crucial. The successful operation of the ranch depended on a good dog. The skillful handling of the sheep was bound up in the creature's capacity to work obediently. My own contentment in managing the flock rested in her responsiveness to my commands. All of my hopes, dreams, and aspirations moved through my mind as I drove home with Lass in the car. At last, we pulled up on our gate. Gently, I opened it, then drove to our rustic cottage perched on the rise of a ground overlooking the sea. Here in our country setting, all was tranquil. Only the winds and the trees, the tide running against the rocks, the, the gulls, the crows, uh, the, that were um, flying in the breeze above the shore broke the silence. Here there would be no bikes, no cars, no, bo no boys, no cars roaring up the road, no traffic din or city noises to distract and disturb. Lass was coming into a new setting of quiet serenity. She was entering the life of a brand new master. What would she do? Remember last week she was angry, she was yipping, she was biting at the master. She, was, she didn't know how to handle what his new touch was going to be like. So her reaction here was, was to slink away, crouched low in the grass, in commingled fear and foreboding. Had she not been on a long leash, she would have fled into the nearby forest behind our home. Speaking to her softly, petting her gently, I led her to the kennel standing in the shade of a lovely oak. She simply stared at it, refusing to enter. Instead, she stubbornly crouched at the entrance, staring up at me with defiant eyes. My wife, thrilled and excited about the beautiful dog, brought out a heaping bowl of food. 
I fetched another dish full of water for her. She ignored both of our offerings. She refused to touch either the food or drink. This went on day after day. I was utterly dismayed. There was no sign of positive response. Her form became gaunt and wasted as day followed day. In a bold and desperate act, I undid her leash and set her free. In a flash, she was gone. Like a fleeing phantom, she vanished into the woods. And I wondered if I would ever see her again. I drove up and down their country road in hope of finding her. I called at neighboring ranches. I combed our fields and ocean edge, but no sign of lass. In anguish of my search, I began to understand a little of the sorrow God endures amid all his endeavors to draw us to him. Again and again, we refuse his benefits offered to us. Belligerently, we rebuff his love and concern. Yet in spite of her indifference and unyielding resistance, I had an enormous empathy for this dog. I longed to redeem her. I was consumed with a desire to make her into a loving, loyal companion. I yearned to see her rise to the potential that lay dormant within her. One of the things that I see out of this book and what's going on in this man right now is I see um, such an enormous love and and desire that God has to spend time with us. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, it tells us that then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. What does it really mean to be created in God's image? Well, we see that At verse 26, he said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Now, I know this is going beyond the scope of our discussion today, but when God said, Us make man in our image, what was he referring to? He was referring to the Trinity. He was referring to Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So we are created in the image of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're, we're multifaceted, just like God is multifaceted. We're created specially like Him. No other creation was created like Him. The animals were not created in that fashion. They were fashioned wholly on their own as animals of their own kind. But we were fashioned under the likeness of the Trinity. That makes us pretty special. That makes you pretty special. Whether you feel like you're special or not, it makes you special because you were created just like God. Do you feel like God? Do you feel special today? But you are. You're created just like the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're created with eternity in mind. We're created with a soul and a spirit that goes beyond our flesh. We're created to spend forever with God. Forever with God. He has such invested in us. More so than he invested in the angels, if you can believe that or not. He invested in us everything he could because he wants a fellowship. He wants a relationship with us. He really is longing after us. And, and so as this sheep farmer was trying to grasp lass, 
and trying to bring Lass into his environment, into his circle of influence. And he was having a hard time with that. Lass was being belligerent. Lass was being obstinate. Lass wouldn't, wouldn't surrender. Boy, it reminds me of like me. God is wanting to bring me under his likeness and under his circle of influence. And, and yet I can be like Lass. I can be just as stubborn and just as belligerent and just as bullheaded. And only to my own demise. Because when I realize that what God is trying to do for me, he's trying to give me fresh water. He's trying to give me fresh food. He's trying to give me a kennel that he's prepared only for me. A brand new leash that no other dog's been on before is prepared for Lass. But Lass resists it. I, in the same way, resist God. And I am the one that loses out. See, we were created to live in a world in our own flesh and blood a little lower than the angels. For the time being, while we walk on earth, we're a little bit lower than the angels. We don't have the power that the angels have. Now, there will come a day where we will rule the angels. But that's a ways down the road. But today, in my own ability... I am powerless. And this is what's amazing about this. God put in us, in our human flesh, in our weakness, he gave us the most powerful thing that this universe contains. Now, before I tell you what that is, you probably already know. But I got to think God probably thought twice, maybe three times, about what he was going to do here. Because he took this vessel made of clay and he, that he breathed into, and when he did, he gave us his own spirit. And he knew we were going to be weak. He knew we were going to have a hard time with our desires. He knew we were going to fall. He knew we were going to have problems. But yet he gave us the most powerful thing that he could give anything. And what that is, is free will. That's the most powerful force in the universe is choice. And he gave it to me. And he gave it to you. Actually, it's really scary to think about that. (laughs) It's scary to think about that God would give mankind, and you all know the history, look at mankind, look at the problems we're in, look at the world around us, look at history, Look at your own life. (laughs) And then think, God, why did you do that to me? (laughs) Why did you give us that much power when you knew we couldn't handle it? He did it because with our choice. Remember, God created us, as we sang about earlier today, he created us to worship him. He created us for fellowship with him. And the only way that he really knows if we truly love him is through our choices. And when I take my free choice to either love or not to love, and I make that that decision, I make that choice to reflect my love back to Christ, that is proof to him that I love him. If I didn't have free choice then what good is the love that God would force out of me and force out of you? As we live in a proper relationship with God, we prove to him, as it says in John chapter 14, verse 15, it says, If you love me, 
you will obey what I command. If you love me, you will obey what I command. We prove our love to God. And so a commentary that I heard read on this verse says this. It indicates that love and obedience cannot be separated. Love and obedience go hand in hand. Love and obedience cannot be separated any more than faith and action can be separated. In the book of James, faith without action is dead. There is no life in faith unless you put action to it. There is no love unless you put obedience with it. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, to think that way? God has invested in us all the things that he has. And even with our belligerent rebuffs, and in spite of our indifference and our resistance, he had enormous and he has enormous empathy for us, just like the sheep rancher had enormous empathy for Lass. And that he wanted Lass to rise up to, and to fulfill the potential that she was created for. And that's just the way God looks at us. God yearns to have a relationship with us. And even though we scorn and rebuff him, he still is not, he does not stop his, his advances towards us. He's constantly reaching down to us. He still cares for us beyond what we could ever imagine. Let's go on. Let's read more about what, what happens to Lass. It says, All of the hopes seems to da- seem to dash into dust until one evening I looked up onto the edge of a rough outcrop behind the cottage, and there she was. I decided to take food and water up to her lookout. Every morning it was gone, and yet every morning she would come back. Every time I approached her, called her by name, or whistled, she vanished, spirited away like smoke, whisked away in the wind. I began to wonder if this distant dog would ever become truly mine. She did not mind eating the food I set out for her. She drank the water poured out for her. She relished the total freedom she had been given. But she was not mine, nor was I hers. Caught up in the standoff, the gracious Spirit of God brought home to my heart with great clarity the predicament in which people put themselves before God. The Master comes to us in our plight. He offers to take us into his family. He spares no pains to provide all that is necessary for our welfare and contentment. He speaks to us reassuringly. He calls us by name. He sets us totally free. Yet the personal response of most people is to recoil from him. They resent his approach. They refuse to respond to his overtures of compassion. They flee to escape from his hands. The paradox in this belligerent behavior is that at the same time, they do not mind taking advantage of Christ's benefits, but at the moment and place of their own choosing in their own self-willed way. In other words, we'll eat the food, we'll drink the water, but I want to live my own life. Do you see that in your life? Do you see how easy it is to come in and, and accept all God has for you And then as soon as you're full, as soon as you're content, as soon as your life is okay again, what do you do? You run back in the woods. Take off. Do my own thing again, just like Lass was doing. 
God in Christ has come to set people free. He has placed before him the benefits and delights of belonging to his family. He has made available to them his love, his care, his provisions, and generous measure. In spite of this, their liberty and freedom is used for selfish gains. They insist on doing their own thing in their own way at their own time. They are not under the master's control. All the good of which they are capable comes to nothing. Again, here we see God's goodness, his overarching love for us, even when we didn't deserve it or we didn't do anything to earn it. First John chapter 4, verse 16, it says, And so we know and rely on the love, of God has, on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And then skip down to verse 19. We love because he first loved us. The love that the sheep farmer had for last was enough to keep him to pursue her, even though the dog had done nothing yet for him. The dog was only belligerent. The dog was only a hassle. The dog was only eating his food and drinking his water, taking his resources, and then running back to the woods. But the farmer kept putting the food out, kept putting the water out, kept reaching out to him, and he kept calling the dog, kept calling the dog to come home and and become uh, a part of the family. And that's exactly what the Lord is doing for us today. He is doing, he's giving us the same call. And as long as, as we have enough to eat and enough to drink, the challenge is when are we going to answer the call? Are we going to answer the call? For last, as long as she has to meet her, enough to meet her natural life functions, See, she was still a slave to them. What does it really mean to be totally free? What does it really mean to be totally free? See, we're totally, we think we're free, but yet we're really not free, just like this dog wasn't free, because this dog had to eat every day. This dog had to drink every day. So she really is a slave to her own natural makeup. So are we. The only time, let me give you, let me give you a little insight here. The only time you're really going to be really, really, really free is when you die. You go to heaven. There is the only time you'll really, truly have freedom because we won't be a slave to ourselves. As long as I have this body that limits me, I know I have to be a slave to something. I am either going to be a slave to my natural flesh and my natural desires, which is really the enemy, or I'm going to be a slave to Christ. But I do not have the true freedom that I will not have until I reach heaven. Then, and only then, will I really be free. So when I recognize then that my freedom is still, and is still only as good as to who I serve, that's my freedom. I'm free to choose who I serve, but I'm really not free to be free because I still have bodily functions. I still have issues I have to take care of. Just like glass was really a slave to food and water, so are we a slave to our flesh and our desire. Let's read on. One night, a few ewes and lambs gazed up near the rock where Lass would lay, and I saw her sit up, cock her head, and watch them with great intensity. Perhaps her Latin instincts to shepherd sheep were coming back to life. Each evening when the day's chores were done, I would direct 
a few sheep toward her, hoping this might somehow help to establish contact between us. But nothing seemed to elicit her positive response. I began to wonder if all my overtures of love were in vain. The dark prospect that she might have to be destroyed loomed ever larger. This is the most poignant lesson I learned from last. This is the turning point of the whole story. It was she who eventually must make the decision or not if she would come to me and entrust her life to my care. Would she allow me to control her conduct? At this point in my own walk with God, I had been bewildered by the conflicting views and highly divergent doctrines debated within Christendom. Discussions on the absolute sovereignty of God as held by the extreme Calvinists and grave responsibility of man as taught by the Armenians. But always dis dismayed me. And here it is. For in the final analysis, the issue always arises as to the ultimate end of man. Does he decide his own destiny? Does he determine his own destruction? Does he discover that hell or heaven are of his own choice, not God's? In my agonizing approaches and appeals to last, I saw with intense clarity that both views were correct, complementary and reconciled within the response of an individual's will. As her new master, I had done everything I could within my power and sovereign love for her. Now she, in response to my compassion, would have to choose to come to me of her own free will, yet ever drawn by my own overtures of concern. You know, that's the, that's the number one issue, I think, that so many people have today. Who, which comes first? The debate over the years is who chooses who? Does God choose man or does man choose God? Who determines who spends time in heaven or hell, man or God? There's, a, there's whole religions that are, that are debating over that topic right there. Who determines it? Am I predestined or do I determine my future? And the answer, in all honesty, is, is they're both right. The answer is both do. See, God reaches down first to mankind to save them, but mankind must reach up to God to grasp him. Once God has a hold of you, once you've released yourself to God, once you've made the choice to receive from God, nothing can ever take you out of his hand. Nothing can take you out of his hand. Once you've embraced him, once he has reached down to you and you guys have made the connection, his hand reaches down and your hand reaches up and his hand grabs your hand, nothing can force his fingers open. Nothing. We read in, chapter, in Romans chapter 8, 35 and 39, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long, and we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once we make the choice to willfully put our hand in the Lord's hand, he will protect us and he will keep us. But we must make the choice, right? We must make the choice. We must reach down and we must reach up. But I know that in, in our society today, it's not fashionable to say things like that. It's not fashionable to say that we have, to, we have responsibilities in our Christian walk. 
we as Americans all want to feel we're all saved. You, you talk to many, most Americans on the street and ask them if they're a Christian. They say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. See, but I, if you really challenge them and ask them a why, why are you really going to heaven? What, what's your basis for that? Well, I'm a good person. I'm better than the guy down the street. I'm okay. I'm going to go to heaven. See, they have a, we, have a, we have this opinion that, that God's going to create grade on a, on a curve and that as long as we're better than somebody else, then, then we're okay and we don't have to listen to all the stuff about truth that the Bible t- talks about. But you know what? God loves us so much that he wants to tell us the truth. He wants us to know that, that we are not graded on a curve. We are graded based upon how we measure up to God's Word. And I know that many many preachers and many churches maybe don't preach real hard on that because it's not real popular. But that's the truth, folks. That's absolutely the truth. The only thing that matters in this life is what God's Word says. Public opinion doesn't matter with God. He doesn't. He's not concerned about the Barna polls. He's not concerned about what's happening with, with, with the pollsters. All he's concerned about is his word and that we would love him and that we will obey him and that we will love him with all of our heart and mind. As it says in Mark chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 30, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, with all your strength. And that's an all-encompassing all com- love. It doesn't leave many gray areas here. It just means that we love him. We love him, and we serve him, and we worship him, and we worship him. Many, many true Christians have fruit, and we certainly need to examine each other's fruit, don't we? I mean, you need to examine my fruit. I need to examine your fruit. We need to know. We need to be able to watch out for each other. We spoke about it in the Sunday school class today, about adversity and how difficult things happen. And, you know, when we love people, we're willing to confront people. We're willing and lovingly compassion, go to somebody, go to a brother, and, and willingly help him out. And we need to do that. And we need to recognize that when a man comes to me, when a Christian brother comes to me, and he has some, some issues for me, that I need to know that, that he's just inspecting my fruit. And it's okay, because that's how he knows who I am. That's how he knows I'm a Christian, by looking at my fruit. No more... No different than I know what an apple tree looks like when I look and see an apple from that tree. And I know that that's a tough one, but I know that if we don't do that, if we don't um, measure that and if we don't exercise that and if we don't let people speak into our lives that way, if we get insulted by that and if we get opinions over that, then what happens is not a good thing in the outcome for our lives today. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23 says this. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now that is really hard talk in the word of God. Why would Jesus say that? Well, he's talking to those in the church. He's talking to me. And he may be even talking to you. But he's saying, though, that, folks, we really need to understand. We really need to know, are we really serving the master? Are we really being free with our life? Are we really turning our life over to the shepherd? 
Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Let me say this, and I'm going to move on. 7 of Matthew, verses 13 and 14, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. I'm telling you, folks, it's one more indicator that Jesus is coming back for a few people that are willing to follow him. I sense a real heaviness in my spirit right now as I'm struggling, if you maybe can tell. This is not an easy word for me to preach right now. I don't know why I'm having a hard time with this, but I am. I'm having a hard time maybe because it's truth, and the truth has to hit people square in the eyes, and I hope that your eyes will be open to it before it's too late. I know our society doesn't like this. And I know the enemy is, doesn't like this. I know the enemy is, is, is screaming right now at me. He's trying to tell me to be quiet. He's trying to tell me to stop it. He's trying to tell me to move on, get off this point. But I can't. Somebody needs to hear this. Somebody needs to hear this. Because we're not going to get to heaven on the wide road. We're not going to get to heaven on the road that's easy. We're going to get to heaven on a narrow road. We're going to enter through the narrow gate. Let me go back to the story. Then one summer evening, the sun was setting in a spectacle of golden glory over the western horizon. The mingled colors of rose, lavender, gold, and scarlet were reflected in the sea. It was utterly breathtaking. But most importantly, almost imperceptibly, amid my revere, I sensed the hesitant first faint touch of a warm, soft nose touching my hands held behind my back. A thrill of exquisite delight swept over me. Last had come. The distance between us had been crossed. Irrepressible joy swept through me in wave after wave. Hope flamed anew. Clearly, I could see now why Christ told us emphatically there was tremendous joy in heaven whenever a straying one came home. Last came home, and when she touched his hand, she snuck up behind him. He didn't see her coming. She touched his hand, and the joy that the master felt was undescribable to him. When the dog finally came home, it's just the same way when we finally say, Jesus, I'm home. I'm home. I'm home, Father. You know what that does? You know the joy that that creates in heaven? You know that God that made you in his image and he, has, he had patience to let you go the way you wanted to go? And when you finally come home, I don't think we can even begin to comprehend what goes on in heaven when that happens. When we so are so undeserving of God's grace, we're so undeserving of his mercy, but yet his love is so strong. It's so powerful. The choice is ours, folks. The choice is, our, the choice is ours. We're being set free, but are we going to follow? Are you going to follow God's call? He's setting you free, just like the shepherd, just like the, the sheep owner took a bold step, and he released last from his collar, and the dog took off. He bolted. We've bolted. We've bolted on the Lord multiple times. But when we come home, when, you, when he comes home 
and we see this, and we see his, his joy and his happiness and, and all of that that comes back and all the joy. See, God wants us to come into his home. He wants us to be there. It's for us, it's for our discovery of his boundless love and, and his enormous goodwill and his generous care and his acceptance home for us. When we gather that, when we can grasp that, As we conclude this morning, Jackie, if you'd come, please. God wants us to be welcomed into his kingdom. And he wants to be there to shower us with his abundance. If we will just willingly come to him and, under, and, and come under his, his authority. But it is a willing choice that we must make to follow him. And we must be accountable to him. We must be just like glass. We must surrender our freedoms and we don't want to surrender our freedoms because we have the perception in our mind that when I surrender my freedom, I'm going to become under more bondage to God. You know, understand who that comes from. Understand where that comes from. That does not come from God. God never puts us under bondage. Everything he does is for our benefit and for our, our purpose to bless us. It's a matter of trust. It's a matter of us coming to a realistic understanding of, of who God is and, and, and what he's going to do for us. How do you feel about God this morning? How do you feel about Him? See, if I go back to that scripture in Romans, we talked about how strong He holds us in His hand. That nothing, no power can take us out of the hand of God. But one thing. One thing is not mentioned here. And it's the first thing we talked about at the very beginning this morning. The most powerful thing that God gave us can take us out of the hand of God if we're not careful. You know what that is? The same thing that got you there. Your choice. Your choice. You chose God. He, held, he holds you in His hand. There is no power. There is no demon. There is no, nothing on earth that can pull His fingers off of your life from the outside. but you can push him away from the inside. Your choice to receive him can also push him away. Close your eyes with me if you would, please. Father, forgive us. Lord Jesus, I am so overwhelmed right now with your, pers- with your passion and your compassion and your mercy and your grace. Lord, your love is so overwhelming. It just, it just flows over us. We can't even begin to stand up under your love. But Lord, how many times have we not responded back to you properly? How many times have we run away from you? How many times have we come when we've eaten your food and taken your nourishment? Only to go back into our own lifestyle of our own selfishness. And our own desires to live our own life thinking that we're doing the right thing, thinking that we're getting ahead in life, thinking that this is what life's all about. But Lord, only to realize that that day comes when I stand before you, when I stand before you, when you look at me and you say, Mike, where were you? I had everything there for you. I had, the, I had the dish of food there for you. I had the water there for you. I had the new leash. And that leash was not to keep you under bondage. That leash was to keep you under my control. Because when I put that leash of control on you, I am setting you free to work under my boundaries 
My boundaries bring you life. My boundaries, they give you health. They give you prosperity. They give you freedom. But Lord, why didn't I put that leash on? Why didn't I willingly put it on? There will come a day when I will plead to God, if I don't put that leash on today, I will plead with him and he will say, I'm sorry, I gave you the chance. I gave you the chance and you didn't take it. Father, forgive us. Help us right now, Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, with your eyes closed and your head bowed and your heart bowed before him, have you put the leash on? Are you willing to let the Lord put the leash of his boundaries on you? His boundaries are so important. You must put his boundaries on you. His boundaries will give you freedom. Your own boundaries will only get you in the problem. The more you sin, the more you suffer. But when you put God's leash on, when you let him, when you willingly, when you will willingly go to him and say, Father, put the collar on me. I am surrendering my life to you. I am surrendering under your authority. I'm surrendering under your purpose. It's freedom. That's freedom. That's taking your will and putting it in the hand of the master. That's freedom. As your eyes are closed, and if you are want to just one more time, one more time, say, Lord, by my uplifted hand, I'm asking you to take my hand. I'm asking you to take my hand, and, and, and I'm putting that leash on. I see the hand. I see that hand. I see him. I see those hands. That's what we need to do. Put your hands up. Let the Lord grasp that hand. Willingly put that collar back on. Lord, we, maybe we've taken it off. Maybe we've run away a little bit. Maybe we've had our own little time of fun. Maybe we've had our own little time of our own little privileges that we wanted to take out and thought that God wouldn't see it and God wouldn't care. But let me tell you, folks, he cares every time you run away without the leash. He cares about that. I see your hand. Thank you. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, we just come before you. Lord, we just willingly come before you. We bow before you, Lord. We are setting ourselves free to follow you, not follow my own desires. So, Lord, when I pray this prayer, when I say, Father, and repeat this with you, if you will, if, you, if you've raised your hand, if you want to, repeat this prayer with me and make it your own. Make this your own prayer. It's not just the words I say, but make this your own. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life again. Put that leash on me. Lord, I receive your boundaries. I receive your authority. I receive your mercies and your grace, grace in my life. Lord, now I will do my best through the power of the Holy Spirit to live in your boundaries, to live in your love, to prove to you that I love you because I'm going to obey you throughout this day and throughout this week, and I'm going to let my life be transformed for you. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercies and your grace. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Stand with me, if you will. Jackie, let's sing this song. And, and let's just make this our closing song. And if you want to pray, the altars are open. Thank you for being here today. Bless you.